what I did was rather than just working in these public behavioral health sectors and just kind of doing what everybody else did there, I sought out learning. And I think this is a big, important piece to wealth building. It's not being content with what you know today, but constantly looking to learn and improve yourself and your skills. And so I would constantly go to these trainings. And even when my, um, my work wouldn't pay for it, I would take money out of my own pocket. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 116. How's it going, Clark? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing great. It was 65 or 67 or so here today, so it's making me want to move to Austin because Dang. we don't really get that weather here in January in New yeah. York. Yeah, we had a little cold front actually drop through, so we we dipped below the 60 mark, but we'll be back up. I think we're going to hit 80 next week one day. What's the coldest it gets there in the winter? I mean, there's a we'll get a day or two where it get, you know gets down in the 30s and 40s for the high, you know, when a cold front comes in, but. Typically, we stay in the 60s, low 60s, high 50s is kind of the, the, the average. When's the last time they got snow down there? You know, I, we actually got snow, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, twice. <laughs> but no joke, we had not had snow in like a decade, I hear. I hadn't been in Austin oh, that wow. long, but they'd said it was like 10 years. It was the last time before last year that there was snow here. But Interesting. It's what you get in huh. Central Texas, so... We got to go to go to the mountains or go out west or north to to see snow. Ski, yeah, yeah. So we were talking just briefly here before the show. I just read an article, an interesting article, and I, I just kind of thought we could talk about that for a second. And it's a, I think I saw it in the Wall Street Journal, but it was analysis done by Zillow on single family homes. And just a couple sentences here. It says one in eight owner-occupied homes in the U.S., or roughly 9 million residences, are set to hit the market from 2017 to 2027 as the baby boomers start to die in large numbers, according to an analysis by Zillow. By 2037, one in four houses will be for sale. One in eight of today's owner-occupied homes will be put on the market between now and 2027. So just Interesting, right? As you start thinking about the millennial generation and younger, they tend to live more urban, right? And and to rent. So it could have drastic effects. Who knows if it will, right? But this analysis by Zillow thinks that it will uh, in the next, what, 10, 15, 20 years here. Yeah, I think it's a, an interesting trend to one, pay attention to, but then also to kind of see if there ends up being any price compression around that, right? The millennials, like you said, are more willing and wanting to live in more urban settings and will typically when they do buy will buy new versus buying you know a product that that might have been built you know in the 70s or 80s and and remodel some do and and obviously we've got a lot of tv shows out there that talk about the remodel process but that's typically not the preference uh for for millennials and one they're getting married later not having as many kids too, which also kind of plays into them not necessarily moving to the suburbs. And, you know, I think another interesting thing about that is our parents' generation, the baby boomer generation, typically would stay in a job or in a location with one company for a majority, if not all, of their career, whereas millennials have been more susceptible to kind of doing two to five-year stints. 
So, and, and as part of that renting. So I think there'll be some interesting price changes based on that trend. And maybe some of these homes that, you know, are valued at amongst baby boomers at what their level is today will not be able to sustain that because the millennials and the next generation aren't, aren't willing to pay that price. Yeah, I wonder, right? I wonder if this trend of, of living in the cities and having less kids and, you know, does that flip back in the next generation? Does that continue? It's interesting, but I'm reminded of, you know, an interview that we had this week that'll launch in a few weeks or in a month or so. We, he was what, young sixties and he worked in the same career for 30 years, mm-hmm. not retired, but worked at the same job, I think in manufacturing, right? For 30 years. And it, you just, I don't, I don't hear about it as much, right? No, anymore. you don't see that. I mean, well, it's hard to, right? Like it's hard to see because you don't really have the data, but very few people that I talk to now have been there for, at least on our show that we interview, right, have had the same job or the same employer for even 10 years or 15 yeah, years. Exactly. It's getting more commonplace that, that really it's two to five years is kind of the the job change and the, you know, the, the change of changing of guard, if you will, where they're moving cities and getting a new job or maybe going into a different industry. And we've seen it amongst our friends too, where, you know, most of our friends probably for the most part, five to 10 years experience have probably been with two to three different companies, if not four or five (laughs) in some cases. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out and pricing. And and then you also have the the great influx of baby boomers who are going to probably want to get a second home or move south, warmer weather. You know, we, that guy you talk about, you know, he's talking about moving to Florida. And I know a lot of people that that's kind of the, you know, I deal with a banker who's approaching retirement in, in Texas, but he's still thinking about Florida. My attorney's got just bought a second home in Florida. A lot of movement down south, southeast. I think there's a report that just came out that Florida by U-Haul, that Florida was actually the number one destination for people moving this last year uh, in 2019 so wow definitely some interesting trends to to pay attention to and see if prices adjust significantly on 80s and 90s type home product or single family home product and if there becomes a bigger demand for single family rentals so on last week's episode we had chris chris firefighter in new york city he discusses both his career path and investing story his net worth was 1.4 million so that's episode 115, if you're interested in that. On today's show, we've got Shiloh. Shiloh is a counselor, and he has a remarkable story of getting out of debt and growing his wealth through real estate. And his net worth is just above $1.3 million. Looking to read more and better yourself in 2020? Or do you have an ever-growing list of books you want to read? Well, our new sponsor, BookNotes, can help. BookNotes knows that you don't have enough time, money, or patience to read all the books we've been wanting to. That's why they've created short, easy-to-read or listen-to summaries that help you learn, grow, and excel in your career and life. The summaries take on average of 5 to 15 minutes to consume and are a quick and easy way to get a base understanding of a book before you buy it. From nonfiction categories like finance, love, career, happiness, and health to fiction and documentary, each summary highlights the key ideas of each title. BookNotes adds new content weekly, includes including top sellers and trending books from each category. I've personally used BookNotes and listened to summaries of The Millionaire Next Door, Grit by Angela Duckworth, and Rich Dad Poor Dad. Try BookNotes free for seven days. Click on the link in the show notes and download the app to get access to hundreds of summaries of best-selling and new-released books. We appreciate everybody listening to the show and supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you definitely help support us. Also, if you're interested to be on the show, send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. 
always looking for quality guests and also those who have reached out in, in regards to our deals. Appreciate you. We definitely have more in the pipeline. So if you're interested in those, send us an email. Without any further delay, let's get into today's episode with Shiloh. Shiloh, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're up to today? Sure. So um, I am by profession a child and family therapist, and I have a practice in uh, Mesa, Arizona. And um, I live here about half the week. I also live the other half the week in California because I have a couple of kids that do some acting. And so I moved my family up there a couple of years back, but I go back and forth. And so when I'm here in Arizona, I spend a lot of time uh, you know, doing therapy with families and with children. But then I also do a lot of real estate on the side. And so that's, that's what I do. Awesome. And what's your net worth today? Today, it's about $1.3 million. And what's, how is that kind of allocated? So I have about um, about a million dollars in in real estate, and so just million dollars of equity in real estate, and then I have about uh, three hundred uh, in liquid cash. And what's kind of the breakup of that real estate? Is it single family? You got multifamily in there. What's kind of the the breakdown of that million dollars in equity? So we have a, a commercial property that has twelve units, and that's where I have my therapy practice based out of. Then we also have a mobile home park. Um, with about 19 or 20 units. And then we have the rest are pretty much single family residences. And so we have about 45 or so single family residences and they're all in, um, in Arizona. We have a couple of duplexes and triplexes as well. And are all those properties pretty close to where you are located there? I would say the majority of them are within an hour to an hour and a half. Okay. So fairly close. And, and with, yeah. with your therapy practice, is that some, commercial office suites that you own in that building? Yeah. So I own one building and the building has 12 different suites. Okay, cool. And then you've got the, the single family and then obviously the, the mobile home park as well. Yep. So you, you mentioned here in these notes before the show that you touched on, you spent about $75,000 in, in coaching for, for real estate. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, who, who was, what was the coaching or who was it? And, and did you think it was worth it? Is that something you'd recommend? So that's a, a really good question. Um, would I recommend it? Um, possibly. It depends on your situation. So what happened was in 2014, we purchased the, the building. And then in 2015, you know, my wife and I are watching those shows, you know, Flip and Flop and, and other shows on, um, on HGTV. And we're like, you know what? We could do something like that. And so uh, when we, when we purchased the building, we opened up a large HELOC so that we could, um, have money available just in case everybody in the building decided that they wanted to leave. So we had this money. It was just sitting there. It was available. And I called up my buddy Jason again, and I said, hey, I want to do a deal with you. And he said, well, you know, I have uh, uh, there's this, this deal I'm going to do, and you could be the hard money lender on it. So I say, okay. And so uh, this, this deal, it was a fun deal. Basically, it was a drug house. And the people lived there. They owned it free and clear, but they were going to be foreclosed on by the HOA and by taxes. Um, and so they just wanted to sell it and, you know, take that money and go buy something else that was smaller in a, in a town far, farther away. So uh, we got this deal and people kept breaking back into the house as we got it. And it was a bad, bad situation. I mean, they, they'd had the water turned off for months, but they were still using the toilet. You know what I mean? The, uh, the plumber said it was probably the worst situation he had ever seen. Uh, worst plumbing situation he'd ever seen. And so, but, but what ultimately happened, uh, the, the numbers were, we bought it for about, uh, 
80000 down, and then they were going to hold a, a $40,000 note. And, and then we rehabbed it for about twenty uh, $27,000. And then what happened was they got kind of impatient. They wanted you know to get that 40000 back really quickly. But you know we hadn't sold it yet, and that was the term of the note. And so we told them that we could um, – you know, I, I'd be willing to pay them $30,000 to, you know, satisfy the note. And at first they're like, no, 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 we don't want to do that. And then they called back like a, a week or two later. Yeah, yeah, we'll take that, that 30000 So the deal actually got better. And so when all was said and done after we sold the, the property, um, my buddy ended up making about $40,000 on the deal. And I made about thirteen. And, you know, I had all of the risk, but he had all of the know-how. And so it was a really cool experience because I learned, wow, I was able to make $13,000 doing this. And it was just, it was just a really neat first experience to have that win. And then it started to open up my eyes to, Hey, we could really do something. And so that was our first deal. Then we went on to do another deal, um, that we ended up losing $5,000 on. I didn't really partner with my buddy on it. My wife and I did it and we didn't run the numbers really well. And so ultimately what happened is we ended up losing 5000 on it. And then another deal we did that we gained about you know $9,000 on it. And so our first year, we made about $17,000 doing three properties, which isn't a whole lot, but wow. we learned a lot. Yeah. And But after we lost that $5,000, it was funny because I went to one of the Rich Dad seminars, those three-day seminars, and they talk about doing a, you know, an education program and you know, there's different tiers, but you know, their highest highest tier I think at the time was around forty thousand dollars. And I come home and I said, "Hey, sweetie, I want to I want to do this program. It costs forty thousand dollars." And she looked at me and she said, "No." So I said, "Okay." And so then, <laughs> after we lost that five thousand dollars on that deal, she goes to her own seminar somewhere else and she comes back and she says, "Hey, sweetie, guess what? I signed us up for a program, a forty thousand dollar program." I'm like, "What?" So anyway. She did it, and I was just fine with it because I did want to learn more, and I wanted to get more education around how to invest. And so for us, the program worked really well for for a few reasons. One is I learn a lot through listening and through going to places and, and kind of going to seminars and things like that. I learn quite a bit from those, and I feel motivated. And then we also got to um, network with a lot of people through the seminar, which was really, really helpful. In fact, there was a guy that I met there that gave me his banker's name who ended up uh, loaning us about a, a $1.6 million the first year that we're really scaling. And because of him, I was able to continue to scale, you know, pretty quickly. And so, you know, today we own about 85 units altogether and we've acquired probably 75 to 80 of them um, within the last three years since the beginning of 2017. So no, yeah, since actually, yeah, since the beginning of 2017. So just over two years, almost three years. And a lot of our net worth has come from over the last three years. And so for me, it was very much worth going to the, that education program because there was also a, a coaching aspect of it. And it was like a $25,000 coaching aspect. But I would say that that was probably one of the things that was most helpful for us was that accountability, that accountability piece. Because, I mean, you, you can go to a seminar and you can listen to something and feel really pumped up for a day, a week, a month, and then you come back and you're kind of on your own trying to figure it out. 
But having that coach was really helpful for us. It kept us moving forward, setting goals each week and, you know, trying to, to reach those goals. And so it was really, really helpful for us to move forward. Wow. Good for you guys. And so 80 units that you own now, that's all multifamily, you said? No, I would say about 45 of them are single family. Okay. 45 single family and then the rest 35 or so about multi. So what is, does that mean 45 single family homes you have? Yes. Oh, wow. And how do you manage those? So it's actually not too difficult because what we do, we do a specific type of real estate investing where we purchase properties under market value. We'll fix them up, but we don't fix them up fully usually. Sometimes we do, but a lot of times we we make them uh, clean, livable, functional, and then we will sell them on what's called a lease option where somebody will come and they will lease them from us for a period of time and then they purchase an option to buy the property from us. And, um, within that specific, that specified time period. And so these, we're not looking for renters to come into our properties. We're looking for tenant buyers, people that ultimately want to buy the property from us. And so we're just kind of like this, this middle, this middleman between I can't get a loan from the bank right now, but I'm tired of renting and I don't want the landlord to be able to sell the house from out from under me. So we fill that specific niche, helping people be able to stay, you know, get into a home that they want to live in. Then they work on getting their credit where it needs to be. And then they go to, to the bank and then they um, buy the property from us. And so we don't have to pay a lot of closing costs or realtor fees when we go to sell it. And we're also able to mark up the property about seven, seven to 10% because of, you know, how properties appreciate because we're doing like um, three, four or five year options. Hmm. And when you say we, who is that? Are you doing this all with a partner? Yeah. So my buddy, Jason, uh, who we got the first deal with, uh, he and I are, are really good friends and um, it's just super, uh, enjoyable to do this with him because he has, well, he has a great personality. He's funny and he's fun, but also, um, just, there's a lot of synergy there. I think what he could do on his own and what I could do on our, on my own is nowhere near what we can do together. So we've really been able to build a lot over the last three years of working together. Yeah, so I just want to talk about that a little bit because we've had a lot of millionaires on the show that do invest in things through partnerships, right? And oftentimes it either, it either is one or, or a couple partners. How has that been beneficial to you? Obviously, I, I assume at some point you've had disagreements or how have you guys been able to resolve that, if any? You know, that that is a, a really good point. There are some people that make really good partners. There's some people that don't. My buddy is, uh, he's laid back, but he's very capable. And, um, he also has a lot of integrity and I try hard, you know, myself to have integrity. And so there's a lot of trust there between he and I, and there has been, you know, disagreements, but we go back, you know, very quickly to, if there's a disagreement, we go back to understanding, you know, that we both have high value systems and, and respect for one another and what we built and say, okay, what can we do to make this to where it works out for both of us? And so. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that either of us are greedy and we actually don't even live off of the real estate income that we make that, that money just stays in the, in the, um, in the business to create more, uh, more money and then to be able to go and acquire more real estate. 
there's been times throughout this process where I've been really strapped and like, uh, and then I'll talk with him. And he's like, okay, tell me what's going on. Let's problem solve. And then there were times where he was really strapped because we also do real estate outside of our partnerships. And so sometimes I put, you know, a lot of money into one thing and now all of a sudden, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, pretty leveraged. And then he'll, and he's done the same thing. And so we've been really supportive of one another and, and understanding and, and helpful to one towards one another. And so I think partnerships have a huge, huge benefit. And that's one other thing that, that Dave Ramsey talks about. He's like, partnerships are the only ship that, that never sails or something like that. And, and I disagree. You find a good partner and um, you guys can create a ton more than what you could do on your own. I don't know, with, with he and I, at the beginning, it was just kind of a handshake deal. And then as we kept growing and growing and growing, we're like, ah, we should probably get something in writing so that, you know, so that expectations are, are, you know, pretty set. Because really, a lot of frustrations stem from unmet expectations. And so if, you know, he's expecting one thing, I'm expecting something else. And that's where a lot of partnerships, you know, fall apart. So we had our CPA come and help us, you know, write up some agreements so that it was more in writing. So if, in case this happens, then this would happen. In case this happens then the other thing would happen. And right. so now it's more of kind of a more formal thing. But even with it being formal, um, it's just, I don't know, it's great to be able to go to work and, um, you know, work with a best friend. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I want to dive into these 45 single family homes because I think you guys have a kind of unique niche, right? And, and kind of right. a niche that you're catering to. Maybe walk us through one of these from from how you find the home to then buying it. What type of financing is it? And then maybe, you know, I assume you probably had some issues with tenants, right? That maybe couldn't make payments or didn't quite turn their credit around. But maybe walk us through a, a typical one of these 45 single family home deals. Sure. So we went to a, a seminar, even though I paid for coaching and then gone through that year long program, I, I really still like to learn more and more. And so my buddy and I go to this little three day training where they're starting to talk about lease options. And so we learn about that and we're flipping at this time. So 2015 and 16 were about flips. And then we're just noticing the margins were getting smaller and smaller. So we decide, okay, let's just try this out. Let's take this and, and do a, a lease option with it. And so we were doing five-year lease options that first year that we were doing it back in 2017. And you know, we're running the numbers, just trying to figure it out. And, and we're like, okay. And, and, and so we, we found somebody that wanted to live in the property. And they gave us, a, I think at the time, it was like a $5,000 option fee. And, and that person is still in the property. In fact, we haven't evicted anybody from any of our properties. We're, we're, in, our, we're in the middle of our first eviction right now. And this has been like three years. Oh, and wow. so really the, the tenants take pretty good care of the properties. We have had a few that have decided to leave the property for a better opportunity somewhere. You know, one person said, Hey, you know what? We wanted to buy this property, but I just got this great job offer in Texas. We got to go. And it was great because they were able to leave. They didn't have to worry about selling the house and they were happy because they got this new opportunity and we were happy because we retained ownership of the home and we were able to increase the option strike price for the next person. They came in with the option fee and now they're in that house and they're happy. Again, we're happy because we were able to increase the value of the house um, or the, the price of the house. And then we had somebody that wanted to go up north and get more land. And then um, and one person actually wanted to downsize because they wanted to um, have a, a smaller home with, with less of a payment. But it's really worked out really, really well. And so the way that I manage it is the, the real estate coach that I had, he kept stressing the importance of having an assistant. 
And I thought, you know, I'm going to have to pay the assistant. I don't know if I can afford it. And, but he kept, he kept emphasizing it. And so I eventually got an assistant. And I tell you what, that was the best decision was to go ahead and get an assistant. And I got an assistant and um, she did pretty well at the beginning. Um, and then she had some issues kind of come up in her life and, and, you know, she went through you know, several difficult things and, and just it was very difficult for her to continue to accomplish the tasks that I needed to, her to accomplish. And so I, I found actually there was a bird dog for another wholesaler and uh, we bought a property that she had found. And so we had lunch with her um, one day, my buddy and I, and um, we just chatted with her and she was like really, really impressive. Um, spoke both English and Spanish, and she really liked real estate and liked, uh, you know, talking with people. And, and she had a great way of talking with people. And so we kind of gave her a, a couple of things to start doing. Um, and so she didn't, she did really well. And so we gave her more and gave her more. And then all of a sudden, she was doing so well that I started to lessen the other assistants' work tasks. And then I had this assistant, you know, the, the new one kind of take over everything. And so she, um, she manages everything. So basically, I'm the property manager, but she's my assistant. She really takes care of most everything. And to be honest, the single family homes that we have, those 45, are very, very low management intensive. I would say each home probably takes about a half hour a month to manage. And that includes inputting in, you know, when they pay their rent and things like that. So it's really not that big of a deal. The thing that takes most of our time is the uh, mobile home park that we have. And that's a kind of a class D mobile home park. And so there's just a lot of things that she has to go and, you know, talk with the tenants, help the tenants out and, you know, go over there and, and take care of a lot of things over there. Yeah. Let's, let's discuss a little bit of the transition. You know, a lot of people I think get started in real estate and maybe they start with their primary residence that then turns into a rental or something or. Maybe they start in single family much like you did. And then sometimes they decide, Hey, I want to transition to multifamily or, or some small multifamily. And then, you know, I've even heard of some people going into the, to, to the, uh, mobile home parks, which is what you've done. Why did you decide to go into that? And kind of what's the metrics that, that you've used to kind of value those and to decide that you're going to buy a, a 20 unit uh, mobile home park? So that's, that's another reason why. You know, going having a partnership is helpful. So again, my buddy Jason, he I would I would compare him to the human version of the Swiss Army knife. You know, what I mean, he's very very versatile. He's great in multiple situations. It's kind of like if if I were trapped on a deserted island. Um, you know, I love my wife, but I wouldn't take my wife. I would take my buddy Jason because he would figure out a way to construct a, a boat and then get us off the island. But before then, he was able to figure out a way to. Um, you know, take possession of the island, then we come back and he builds huts and then he gets people back to the island to vacation or something. He's that kind of person. And so he's always looking for opportunities and deals. And so he saw this mobile home park that came up for, for auction. Basically, it was an estate sale that needed to be sold immediately. So it was going to be sold to auction. And, um, he just did a lot of the research. And trying to figure out, you know, if, you know, the numbers. And then what was interesting is they gave the wrong address to the place that it was going to be auctioned at. And so it was just my buddy and one other person that showed up to the auction. And so they started auctioning it. We were going to buy it for upwards of like 550. But, um, what happened was, you know, they started the auction at like 420. And then, you know, he raised his hand and the other person raised their hand and he raised their hand, his hand. And then the other person said, you know what? I can tell you want this 
you know, worse than I do. And so he just backed backed off. And so we ended up getting the property for, I think it was 460. And, and, and kind of what, what was your thought process in going and doing that instead of maybe going after a multifamily unit or, or something else? What was kind of the metrics? What were you looking at rent rates and everything with, with the uh, mobile home park? So this mobile home park, um, if you took like the cap rate, it was going to be like a 16 cap. So, which is, you know, a lot of, uh, multifamily are looking at five, six cap. You know, they're happy with a six cap. It's hard to get a seven or above. And this was going to be a 16 cap. So basically it was just number wise. And we also, you know, been talking about mobile home parks and, you know, thinking about it. And so, uh, when, when the opportunity came and he had a lot of experience doing, running the numbers and doing the research. So when the opportunity was there, we took advantage of the opportunity. And how are you typically financing these deals and, and working with bankers to kind of leverage, you know, their expertise with what you've got going on to be able to scale at the rate that you have? So we have a, a great team that we work with. And so we have, um, you know, we worked with maybe five different hard money lenders, but there's one hard money lender that we, um, have worked the best with so far. And, and he sees what we're doing. He sees the, um, success that we're having and, and how we're getting these properties. And so he can lend us, you know, within just a few days, you know, we just show it to him, show him the numbers. He's like, that makes sense. And so what I do is I create an email chain that includes <clears throat> my accountant, the title company, the hard money lender, my insurance um, guy, the seller, myself, my partner, and my um, assistant. So I create a, an email chain with everybody involved. And I say, okay, we want to buy this property. This is what, how the number is going to work. And I send it out to them. And then they just start talking to each other. And they, they take care of pretty much everything. I, and then I just go and I sign, I sign the docs at the end. And so that's kind of the way that we've systematized it. And so we just connect everybody. They do their piece. And then at the end, we have this property. The way that we're being able to scale is we find properties that are well under market value that after we have, you know, got the property up to the, the level of rehab that we want to get it to, it's still um, only about 75% of the ARV, the after repair value. And so you guys know about, you know, bigger pockets and I'm on bigger pockets, uh, posting a lot and, um, they talk about, you know, Brandon Turner talks about the Burr strategy. And so it's basically the Burr strategy. But I'm, I'm, I'm now trying to, to coin what's called the Burr low strategy. So basically it's the Burr, the buy rehab, but then rather you take rent out there and you do buy rehab, um, refinance, repeat, and then you just add lease option on there. So that's how we've been able to scale so well is that we can get these properties well under market value to where it, really our all in price is only 70 to 75% of the ARV. And then that banker that I told you, I got that contact from the education program I went to. He, um, he was able to just look at the properties and then rather than seizing, seasoning all of them, he did want the first few to be seasoned. But then when he saw what we were doing and that it was working, he's like, no, just bring your properties and then we'll just start giving you loans. And so again, over a year period of time, he gave me about 1.6 million in loans over 16 different properties. And then all of a sudden he said, okay, um, our underwriter said that we can't give you any more loans. So then I had to go to another bank and start working with another bank to give me more loans. And so I did that for a while. And then um, after I did that, 
then um, that bank said, hey, we can't do any more. So I had to go to another bank. And so I started getting more loans from that bank. And then the second, the second bank, uh, there was a new banker that came there. And he said that I could take all of these properties and I could bun- bundle them into a large portfolio loan. So then I switched from doing these single family loans or, and I had to do a lot of commercial loans for these single family loans. Then I was able to bundle them all together into a large portfolio loan. And they were able to amortize it over like 30 years. And so the payment went down and our cash flow mm-hmm. went up. It worked out really, really well. And what, what, what rate are you looking at on each of these loans? So right now they're under 5%. Okay. And then I know we talked about this. Oh, go ahead. So basically our partnership kind of works this way. My buddy and I will both find some properties, but he has some expertise in running the numbers, making sure the numbers are good. Because I can present a property to him thinking, hey, this is a great property. He looks at it. He's like, no, that's not a good property. Here are the numbers. I'm like, oh, okay. And so that's really, really helpful. My job is I'm the money guy. So basically, I find money to do these deals. So um, after we had you know, started to do this and started to get you know, some traction, um, what happened was we had a lot of our money like in these, in these properties. And so I went to lunch with somebody one day and he said, why don't you just take out some seconds, have some investors come in with some seconds? I'm like, really? And so I thought about it. And I'm like, you know what? We have enough cash flow on here that we could bring somebody in as a private money lender, be able to take out, you know, our cash flow, still have the property be leveraged under 80%, pay that person, you know, uh, you know, eight to 10% on their money. And then we're still able to make, you know, 200 bucks on the property. They make a hundred, but now we have all of our money out. And so over a, a couple of year period of time, I was able to raise about a, a million dollars in private money loans. And these loans were from, you know, between 10, 20,000. Some of them were 40, some of them were a hundred, but we were able to get all of these investors. And, and so it was really, really great the way that we did that. And then what we did in order to help them feel like they were getting quite a bit out of it is we put them on like a WhatsApp group to where as we're rehabbing these properties, we kind of show videos and then we'll answer their questions. They can comment, they can ask questions and they have access to us to learn. And they're also earning money on their money while it's invested or while it's lent to us. So that's really how we were able to, you know, get a lot of private money loans in order to help us continue to scale. And what were the terms on those private money loans? Just curious. So we did it, you know, one of three ways. First, somebody could partner with us. Well, not really partner. They could lend to us when we purchase a property. And then, you know, uh, we'll have to bring in like 5,000 or 10,000 to purchase it. The hard money lender will bring in the majority, but we still need to bring in a little bit. So we have a private money lender come in, fund that portion, and then they fund the rehab. And then after it's all said and done, again, we're still only about 70 to 75% of what the ARV is. Then when we get a a loan on it, we're able to pay back the hard money lender and the private money lender. And then they were able to get their, their eight, you know, eight percent. So it's eight percent if they lend it to us for one year or less. It's nine percent if it's two years. It's 10 percent if it's three or four years. And then after we got the properties under long term, um, loans, if we still had some of our money still left in the property and if they were still, you know, you know, the banks would lend us up to 70%. And so we could get private money lender to come in with 10%. They would get a portion of the cash flow. We would have our money back. We would able, be able to take that money and then go and put it into the, ne- the next deal and the next deal and the next deal. And so that's how we were able to scale so quickly is because we learned how to manage debt really, really well. 
Wow. Good for you guys. And then congrats, obviously, on, on your success. So where do you think you go from here? Is there a goal of net worth? Is there a goal from passive income? Is there a number of units goal? Anything that stands out? Yeah. So I think my buddy and I each have a goal of about $20,000 of passive income per month. So that's the goal. And well, that's just that's the money goal. But really, the main goal is to have uh, freedom of choice, the ability to to choose um, what we want to do. And I really enjoy being a therapist. I, I've learned a lot. I've done a lot of, you know, continuing education and in learning how to really help that parent-child relationship. That's my specialty. And so I, and I do it pretty well. And I'm able to help a lot of my families. And so I don't see myself not doing that. But at the same time, I may not do it for as many hours as I do now. And I might be able to go on, you know, uh, some more meaningful vacations with my kids. So I've been able to take my kids to, to Costa Rica. You know, we go on a trip. My, my child and I will go on a trip and have a, a wonderful time. Just, you know, you know, my, my daughter and I went two years ago and then my son and I went last year and then my younger daughter and I are going to go, uh, in January. And so those trips are amazing. They're so much fun. And I enjoy being able to do those things with my kids. And so really the goals are to be able to have freedom of choice. And I find that having this passive income will help create that. Yeah. Are you, Shiloh, are you very open with your net worth and some of this passive income and things that you're doing with people around you? Or is it hard to kind of balance that to know who to tell and what to keep private? Or how do you manage that? That's kind of you know, a question that's come yeah. up from a couple of our listeners, right? It's just, hey, if you're, if you're wealthy and you're a millionaire and, and who do you let in on that? Who do you not? You know, I think people kind of struggle with that balance sometimes. It, it's true. And, and it's interesting um, because I find that 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 is the case. I was uh, with my wife at a, um, a reunion recently, a high school reunion, and I was talking with um, a buddy that I'd known. And, and we were talking about real estate investing. And he said, yeah, I, I've been doing some real estate investing. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. It's like, yeah, I've gotten up to, I think he said three or or four units. I'm like, that's awesome. Then he said to me, um, how many properties do you have? And I said, I have about 85. And he's like, oh. And then the conversation <laughs> just didn't go anywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, and so I tried to kind of turn it back on him and you know, kind of keep asking him some questions. But it's interesting. It's like when somebody sees that, uh, that somebody is doing something that's outside of what they would consider even, you know, a realm of normal, they have a hard time knowing how to relate. And so, yeah, I, I don't share with a lot of people my net worth unless I know them really well and unless there's a purpose to it. Because what's interesting is the people that I, I know and, and you know, love, my, my friends and, and family, um, I can tell them, yeah, I have 85 units. I, I've been a millionaire for about a year. And, and they're just like, they don't, none of them ever come up to me and say, Shiloh, will you show me how you did that? Help. I'd love to be able to do that too. Can you show right. me? None of them do that. And so I find that by why? telling them, yeah, why tell them? I mean, I asked the same question, but wh yeah. why? Why is that, do you think? What's holding people back? You know, it's so interesting. Um, I don't know why. Uh, a lot of people, like, if somebody were to come to me and say, uh, like a buddy of mine, if we went to school together and he comes and he's like, yeah, I have 85 properties and you know, I've been a millionaire for a year or two. I'd, and if I had a good relationship with him, I'd say, dude, will you show me how you did that? I love to know how to do that. But most of my friends, I've had, I have like one, one buddy of mine. He'll call me. He's like, all right, man. Okay. Tell me what's going on. There's this duplex. And, you know, uh, these are the numbers and should I get it? How do I do this? And so, uh, it's fun to chat with him about that. But, um, yeah, 
people, nobody asks me, will you show me how to do it? Right. And so, I don't know, I think it's just paradigm. They, they have a thought that, you know, they, they don't understand it. It's something very foreign to them. And unless you can see yourself at a certain level, a lot of times it's just like, oh, well, okay, well, I don't know what to say now. Sure. Yeah, and, and some people may not just be interested in it, but that's okay too, right? So I just want to end here with some rapid-fire questions for you. What's the most expensive uh, pair of shoes you've ever purchased? So I, you know, I don't spend a lot of money on things that go down in value. And so I'd say about a hundred dollar pair of shoes. Well, I, I spent uh, about like 150. It wasn't my money. It was my parents' money when I was a kid and I was leaving the country to, um, for a couple of years. They, they got me a nice pair of shoes. I think around 150 bucks. Okay. What about a car? Um, with that $13,000 that I, um, that I made on that first deal, I went, and I bought my, my dream car, which was a 2012. Uh, Toyota Prius, sea glass, pearl color, tinted windows. <laughs> How old were you, if you can remember, when you when you became a millionaire? Um, I think it was just last year. Okay. Uh, predicted age or retirement, I guess we talked about that. How much do you spend a year? Do you know household spending? Yeah, we spend a lot. Um, <laughs> I would say we spend over, you know, over $100,000. And so my my income from a, as a therapist is what goes to support my my living expenses. And I have a house in California and I have a house in Arizona. But also what we do is we do a lot of house hacking. And so in California, I have a tenant in a guest house in the back and he pays fifteen hundred a month. So it brought my you know house cost from like uh like forty three hundred a month down to like twenty eight hundred a month. And then in in Arizona right now I, I'm just in the process of finishing up a, a loan on this large home that I bought. It has Six bedrooms, five bathrooms, and I rent out all of the rooms to, you know, to single guys, and so it brings in about forty two hundred a month, and nice. um, and so I'm I'm there living, you know, among the tenants until next year when my family comes back, and then we'll sell the house in California, and then we'll, you know, live in the house in in Gilbert, but um, so I would say my living expenses is about a hundred thousand a year. Okay, and then as much as you're comfortable sharing here, what's been your range of income through your working life, and and you can you can include the the real estate income as well here. Sure. So you know, I started off after I finished with um, uh, my master's program, earning about forty thousand a year, and I felt really good because most social workers that I knew of were not earning forty thousand a year right off after graduation. And so I felt good about that. And I got up to about 42,000 a year. And then I was laid off because of the big, you know, recession and everything. And then I go and I start working at a, another facility and, you know, I was making about 40, you know, three ish. And then went and worked at another one for about 40. And then my, but what I did was rather than just working in these public behavioral health sectors and just kind of doing what everybody else did there, I sought out learning. And I think this is a big, important piece to wealth building. It's not being content with what you know today, but constantly looking to learn and improve yourself and your skills. And so I would constantly go to these trainings. And even when my um, my work wouldn't pay for it, I would take money out of my own pocket to go to these advanced trainings. And so then, you know, after being a social worker for three years, I then get this, um, this job as, uh, as a supervisor. Now I'm making 55,000 a year. And I'm like, wow, I have arrived. My wife and I went out and had our first, you know, hundred dollar meal together. And it was, you know, this is the treat. We've arrived. And then, um, I got, uh, demoted from supervisor. <laughs> and, and a lot of it was because 
of my mindset. I don't know if you guys have read uh, Cashflow Quadrant, but my mindset wasn't that of an employee. It was that of a small business owner because everybody in my family owned their own business. And so when they told me to do something a certain way and I thought it would be better to do it differently, I would do it differently. And so that didn't work very well when I was in uh, a large corporation. And so um, I got demoted. I was earning you know, 37 again. And then I went off on my own. And the first year going off on my own as a therapist, I probably made about 70. And then, you know, the next year I, I made about 90. And somebody asked me, do you, I think I would ever make over 100. And I'm like, I don't know, I'd have to work a ton. At that point in time, that's when it kind of turned to where I need to figure out a way to create more income. And that's when I decided to start investing in, in real estate and start flipping houses. And I thought, okay, if I could just flip four properties a year, then that would be an extra 40000 and we would be able to go on vacation and do this and save for retirement. And so my thought was, man, if I could make $120,000, that would be fantastic. And so um, I did that. And then going through that that year-long training program, um, there was a guy named Robert Sheeman, and he wrote a book called How Come That Idiot's Rich and I'm Not. And uh, he was a great guy, and we sat down had lunch with him. But he talked about having something called quantum goals. It's like take your goal and kind of like how Grant Cardone says, you know, 10x that goal. He said, take your goal and make it a quantum goal. You know, multiply that goal. He didn't say by 10 times, but basically it was the same concept. So after going, you know, to that seminar with him, I said, I don't want to do four properties. I want to do 20 properties a year. And so it was at that point where my glass ceiling broke and I realized I can do a lot more than what I originally thought I could do. And that's when we started to really, you know, realize these gains. And so it's really hard for me to say how much I earn. Because I earn money from my, my real estate or my counseling business. And then a lot of the money in the real estate stays in the real estate in order to acquire more properties. But my, my accountant would say probably around 350 or four. I don't awesome. know exactly. Really, our, our real estate is what creates our wealth. I live off of my counseling income, but the real estate is what creates our wealth. Yeah. I was just going to close here with advice, but I think, I think you ended with it. Seek out learning. You know, I think that's obviously what you've done and a big part of why you've been successful. So again, that's Shiloh. Congrats on your success. Net worth of 1.3 million, uh, 80 units, 45 of which are single family homes, 35 multi and some, and a bunch of lease options in there. Thanks, Shiloh, for coming on the show tonight. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks to you guys. I really appreciate it. And I've listened to a ton of your shows. You guys do a great job. Thanks, Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.